Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. There are just a few topics I want to bring up here and a couple of things that I want to revisit uh, for the end of the week. One of the things that I've mentioned in the past, again, like I said in Wednesday's episode, had to do with the presence of, of the nonsense of critical race theory replacing the stories of students getting jabbed and the adverse reactions to that. I personally think that the next thing that you're going to start seeing is not going to be, although it's not going to stop, but it's certainly, it's, it, it's going to shift a little bit. And I think it should shift a little bit in my professional opinion. Instead of the parents getting up in front of the microphone at board meetings and yelling about critical race theory, which I'm not saying they shouldn't, but clearly that's a trend and has been now for quite some time. We do know that there are still parents that are getting up and yelling, as they should, about the mask wearing that's been going on in American schools. That needs to continue. I think that the next phase is going to be the business of the parents yelling about making sure that the school district isn't jabbing their students. And we have to keep in mind that there are states in the United States that don't have to tell parents that their their children are going to be asked to be jabbed away from their presence. They don't need parental consent in many cases. And Tennessee happens to be one of those states. And again, it's not to say that parents aren't having conversations with their children about what's happening and what's not happening. There are plenty of conversations, of course, that are taking place and discussions that are taking place, and they should continue to be that way. The thing that I, th- I think there are two things that people need to watch out for here in the in the future. The first, again, from a higher education standpoint, so to speak, is what is it that those individuals are researching and talking about and teaching those students? Because right now, in my opinion, I think the biggest thing that needs to be researched right now are the perceptions of parents, students, teachers, and other individuals who have worked within these school buildings over the last year. And they need to be asked about their perceptions about the mask wearing, the incoming uh, jab regulations, because we know that, again, plenty of schools are actually mandating this to be the case. How about the turnover rate? You know, all of these in the same basket have got to be researched, and I, I truly believe that that is the tip of the spear. I think that anything that's being researched that doesn't have anything to do with that is really missing the mark and getting in the way of the actual problems here. Because let's take the perceptions, first of all, of of what's likely to occur if school teachers were to be asked and, and administrators were to be asked these questions, along with students and even parents within K 12 environments. You're going to have opinions all over the place. You're going to have lots of administrators say, well, we we heavily relied on our health departments to make the right decisions, and we felt that that was the best option, and that's exactly what we needed to do because, you know, we needed to slow the spread and flatten the curve and blah, blah, blah. And they'll use all of those taglines and those purposeful just word manipulation taglines because it's just been ingrained in their head over and over and over again. And instead of actually looking things up on their own, they'll just believe those taglines and then repeat said taglines. 
There are plenty of parents that will say the same thing. There are plenty of teachers that will say the same thing. There are plenty of students that will say the same thing. And I don't know if I told this story, and if I did, I'm just going to repeat it anyway, but about a month or so ago, I was driving to the bank, and I passed two, I would call them late elementary, early middle school students, certainly late elementary, fourth, fifth grade. And one of them was was a, a, a shorter, bigger female, and the other was a, a, a rather thin male. And they were both wearing masks. It was approximately 85 plus degrees outside, sunny day, not a cloud in the sky. There was plenty of humidity, and uh, they were pushing their bicycles up a steep hill, along a sidewalk, along a road. They weren't riding the bikes, they were actually pushing them uphill. And I saw them and I thought to myself, wow, they're walking slow. And wow, they look like they're breathing heavy. And I'm taking all of this in again as I'm driving by. And I'm saying to myself, you know what? When I'm done at the bank, I'm going to turn around, go back the same way I came to go home, and I'm, I'm going to say something to them about how they might want to take off the mask so they don't die on the way home. Again, that's just <laughs> I'm just playing that in my head as as I'm as I'm rolling through the bank. And so I turned around when I was done and I started to drive back and I rolled my window down and I said, "Hey, how you doing?" And they didn't say anything and they just stopped and they looked at me and I said, "You're going to want to take your mask off." I said, "It's 85 degrees outside. You don't need to wear them. You're not going to get sick. You've been lied to." That's that's what I said. Without skipping a beat, I could see the look in the female's eyes. And we, and, and we know, for those of us that have taught in the past, we know, this kind of, we know this kind of student. It's the student who is so ignorantly ob- obstinate that their face changes as soon as you tell them something that counters what they, what they think is real. And then they stare back at you with just this, just piercing eyes. And then she said the following. And again, I can't see her face, but she's hunched over her bike like she's about to black out. Uh, her, her male friend is standing there kind of very upright like, oh, someone's talking to us. And, uh, and she looks at me and again, gets a very mean look on her, on, in her eyes. And she says... That's not true. And she just yells it. That's not true. And I said, yeah, it is. I said, I'm not wearing one. I'm not sick. I said, you might, you might want to do the same. Have a great day. And then I drove away. And that was it. And I don't normally do that. I don't stop randomly and, and, and provide my opinion to, uh, to minors. I mean, that's, that's the last thing on my mind. But I thought to myself... If they're wearing a mask outside in an environment like that, there's something seriously wrong with their parents. And I know that, and that's what that means. You can always look at the parents to see what's going on in their heads by simply looking at the way that the children behave. It's a very simple one-two step. It's very, very easy dots to connect there. So with that said, I drove away, and I remember looking in the rearview mirror, and the male... Between the two of them, the ma- they had both stopped. They weren't moving anymore. They weren't pushing their bikes uphill anymore. The male stopped and looked at her 
kind of with this inquisitive look on his face, and I remember him throwing his hands up like, hey, why are we wearing masks? He wasn't wearing one. I mean, it was kind of one of those things. And then I could see her kind of look back at him and kind of bark at him about something, and then that was it. And I was up the hill and I was gone. My point is, is that that right there shows that countless students, regardless of age, have, have been so brainwashed by this entire experience that they've sucked it in themselves too. And yes, of course, they're a product of their parents, and, and, and we, know, we know how easy that connection is and how easy it is to trick a minor. What they don't seem to understand, even those parents and those students who are completely brainwashed into the masking, is that the exact opposite exists. We have seen countless speeches of individuals who are minors yelling about not wearing masks and how harmful they are. And I'm talking about kindergarten, first grade, second graders, not just in board meetings, but they're attending rallies. They're attending no mask freedom rallies, and that's been going on for quite some time. So what would be interesting is, is in any study, if you were to come across individuals who were to tell you about all of their experiences with the masks, and you had a set set of videos to show the individuals who were 100% pro-mask, 100% pro-jab, if you were to show them a collage or a montage, uh, you know, a one-minute montage, just one minute long, of, of a video of all, of all of the people that counter their own point, who are in the exact same profession or same age as they are, same position as they are, just to show them, hey, look, by the way, there's a lot of people out there that di disagree with you 100%. They're 180 degrees away from you. If you were to show a montage video like that to them and gauge their response, I think that would be astounding. Show them that video and then ask them their perceptions of, of what they thought about what they just saw and what they just heard. The same is true with the exact opposite. You would be gathering opinions because, again, these would exist. They would have to. You would have teachers and administrators say this entire thing has been bullshit. The entire mask wearing, it's all social control, it's psychological warfare, it's all of it. Even students, middle school, elementary, middle school, and high school students. So what do you think about the mask wearing? So what do you think about all this social distancing stuff? What are your opinions about it? You would get students that would say all of this is horrific. All of this is horrible. None of this is a good thing. It should have never existed in the first place. You would get those people. And then what would their response be if you showed them the exact opposite or even the same montage of, of anti-mask, anti-jab videos, but then you also showed them another video that was pro-mask, pro-jab, and the behaviors of those people. Again, same age groups, same professions, etc., etc. Gauging those responses would be very, very interesting. In my opinion, that right there is the number one research agenda that should be existing right now. Four American K-12 schools and four higher education. But what limits a person's research agenda? What limits a person's research agenda is what they currently know or what they want to learn more about. If you don't have a firm springboard of fact below your feet 
and, and uh, surrounded by a foundation of of even more historic fact, there's no way that you'll be able to gauge such responses among people, and let let alone do it accurately. You just won't. Which is why so much unfortunate research occurs based on fallacy. For example, the research that exists out there simply calling Donald Trump a racist in education, in the profession of education, is astounding. The word collaboration, how we have to collaborate, and how collaboration does this and that, blah, blah, blah. Again, about a few years ago, it was all social justice. Social justice this, social justice that. Now what is it? Well, it's critical race theory this, critical race theory that, how we need to teach them about sex education at a younger age and all this degenerate nonsense. That that tends to be one of the larger research agendas that exists, which is based on lies. It's all based on evil, it's based on lies, and it's based on Marxism and Bolshevism and communism. So that's, unfortunately what does exist. But again, I think that the clearest angle for people to take and and really to inquire about are those kinds of questions. And I would go so far as to say that the average citizen could gather these perspectives because we know that schools aren't doing it by and large. Schools are not providing surveys to their staff members or surveys to their parents or surveys to their students about what they think about what's been going on over the last year and a half. They aren't doing that. And if school boards are doing that, they're probably manipulating the information because they have to. Because if they don't manipulate it, they're not going to like the answer. The truthful answer is going to be horrific for them. Again, that depends on the, you know, the level of brainwashing among the, in, among the individuals that, that work there and attend those buildings. But it's not unusual for school districts to, to, to provide such a survey. And certainly the forward-thinking school districts are the ones providing such, such surveys. And I would say dollars to donuts, I bet the vast majority of them, if not all of them, are not doing that. They're just not providing that kind of factual information or, pers- or perspective gathering among students and staff. They aren't doing it. So again, with that said, it raises the other question. Because we've, as I said earlier, we've seen the school board meetings with people screaming about critical race theory, and we've seen the school board meetings with people screaming about masks. What comes next? And I think that what comes next is people screaming about the jabs and making sure that students aren't taking the jabs. And maybe they start to walk up. I'm going to provide some suggestions here. Maybe they walk up to the microphone and they play audio and video on their phone of individuals who have had deadly and adverse reactions from taking these jabs. Read some of these stories of individuals who have unfortunately lost their lives or are now permanently maimed as a result of taking these jabs. Read their stories in these board meetings. That has got to be the next step because they're not going to tell parents beforehand what they think about mandating these jabs in the future. And as I said in the last episode, I think it's coming. I think that's the next phase. Because as I said earlier, you're going to have staff members that are deathly ill as a result. And they're going to be blaming, falsely, of course, but they're going to be blaming the unvaxxed students as, as, the, as the culprits, so to speak. As the individuals that are, um, that are causing all of this. 
that brings in the next question. Well, what, what, what would be their response? Would they first discriminate and segregate and say, if you haven't had the jabs as a 12 to 18 year old, then you, then you have to wear a mask and you have to sit over here by yourself and, and X, Y, Z that's already happening. That's already happening. There are already schools that are saying, if you're unjabbed, you have to wear a mask and you have to sit over here. Now, given the, given the fact that that's the case, what are they going to do next, though? Are they going to send them home? Are they going to say, you can't come here unless you've been jabbed? I mean, it's, it's this endless road of nonsense, and I'm, and I'm not sure that there's a viable end to it other than, of course, to homeschool or pull, you know, pull your children out of these environments. But what we can't, ha- what we can't see happen is that these kinds of jabs become mandatory. Even these "quote unquote" booster shots, which we've heard about in the future, I just—it it just can't happen. The 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 illness toll is going to be too high. The death toll will be too high. And I might add, this is all over the place too, by the way. But countless hospitals have massive staffing shortages right now, and this isn't being reported. It's not being reported that countless nurses and even doctors aren't showing up, and they're not showing up for two reasons. Number one, they're either ill or dead. And number two, they've left the profession because they've been forced or told that you can't work here if you don't take these poisonous jabs. It's, um, it's testing people's resolve, to say the least. And that right there should prove to everybody that it's, um, this is a serious spiritual battle. Are you, are, are you going to choose drugs or uh, drugs and money and, and compliance, or are you going to choose uh, freedom and your, and your God-given health, even if it means you lose money? So uh, th- that's the decision that's being made by a lot of people right now, and I understand it's difficult for countless individuals. I have no doubt about that in my mind. But if I were to work in a building, a school building, where that were to be the case, take the jab and stay and get paid, uh, risking your, your permanent health and, and, uh, you know, potential immediate death or walk away with your entire DNA and RNA intact and your immune system intact for, for as long as, as your God-given life is supposed to, is supposed to last. The choice for me is pretty easy, but I did want to read this post too. And this was sent to me on Gab and I thought it was very interesting because again, it, 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 it reaches back to a past episode with Vanessa Hurst, again, where we were talking about the uh, talent pipeline management stuff and the workplace, you know, uh, t- turning the K-12 environment essentially into a work camp where countless students are working instead of actually being in class learning content and that the work actually replaces the classroom. So this was sent to me and I'm just going to read it. I'm going to leave their name out of it, but um, they know who they are. And it says, ah, this is an area I'm extremely familiar with. It was in the mid-90s. My two baby boys were starting kindergarten. I became aware of their agenda, which at the time they labeled school to work. I became extremely vocal and in their faces, by the way, of news media. Yes, back then there were actual reporters and media who did their job. Anyhow, the movement against the radical left, radical then, nowadays they're just called the left, grew quickly and became very large. So as the left, Satanists, Luciferians, etc., always does, they change the name of the agenda. 
same but new name of outcome-based education, quote-unquote. It's been so many years, I have had the order of the names backwards, but the point is, they only change names of their agendas to placate and get the people off their backs. So I continued fighting the system, even into a new state. The boys started first grade, and in week two, I found out that they were being read a book called Heather Has Two Mommies. Oh, hell no. And thus, I pulled them from the public school, and I educated them as well as their little sister at home. Family Life Homeschool was a smashing success. To God be all glory, and my now adult babies are the pride and joy of my life. Anywho, I've written a book, LOL, this work camp school stuff is not new, goes back to the early 90s. She's 100% right. 100% right. Changing the name of a, of, a, of a school-related policy is a simple Marxist tactic. They run through it with, with one name, and then they'll just shift it. They'll either take a word out, they'll add a word, or they'll completely change the entire thing while leaving the definition and the framework to be the exact same. For example, critical race theory back in the day was just referred to as critical theory. The reason that they named it critical theory was because, well, it brings up the question, well, what's critical? What is it that we're trying to examine that's quote-unquote critical? So then they can add in gender, race, sex, etc., etc. They can just add in whatever words they want on top of critical theory, and then it's game on. Then they can talk about whatever they want, and they can turn that into an entire major course of study, which, as we know, leads nowhere, because it, the individual can't get an actual job anyplace. So I just thought that that was a very telling post. And it really does, that post, by the way, in a nutshell, really highlights the problem, the ongoing problem, and the solution. Because the problem is Marxism. It's totalitarianism. It's not critical race theory. That's 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 such a small that's such a small issue on the on the bigger landscape of the larger problem. And as I've said in the past, yes, it should be discussed, but move on. Okay, we 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 have bigger problems now, so people have to move on from that. But she also says the name manipulation again is commonplace. And oh, by the way, we homeschooled and we're a hundred percent fine. See, that right there, that's the answer. It, it has been the answer, it's always been the answer, and it will continue to be the immediate answer. I'm going to bring this back to the jab topic here just briefly. And I've, I've mentioned this again too in the past, So, but it does bear repeating. Given the fact that this isn't something that's being brought up very often in school board meetings, or at the very least, it's not being recorded and thrown out there on the internet with any regularity. The thing that people are going to have to watch out for here in the coming months is whether or not there are going to be jab-related buses that are showing up to schools where 12 to 18-year-olds are present. So I alluded to it earlier, but I, I, do, I do really think that that 
is going to be something that does occur. Because it's, I mean, it's already occurred. Let's not kid ourselves. It's already happened. But now that you have Joe Biden and his press secretary out there saying that they're interested in going from community to community and educating the people about the importance of the jab and and doing whatever they can to make sure that the unjabbed are found, quote unquote, and that they have the opportunity to get the jab on their front doorstep, I've got to tell you, this is remarkably alarming. And you'd better know that they're going to do this in American schools too. They're going to have, again, mark my words here, they're going to have pro-jab propagandists show up and give presentations in K-12 schools this coming school year. That will happen. I wouldn't be surprised if in the next month when professional development sessions for, for school teachers, and I'm using that word loosely, professional development, um, or that phrase rather, that they're going to have, again, pro-jab professional development sessions for, for their staff members. Now, how, you know, oh my God, I can see it right now. It's just temple rubbing. It's temple rubbing. They're going to have these propagandists from the health department show up and say, okay, now, what should you do if a student says that the jab is a hoax? Or what should you do if, if the student says that, that the jabs are deadly? Or what should you say back if they bring up the jab? You know that countless students are going to be bringing this up in K-12 schools. And when school is back in session, you know that the, 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 the YouTube videos, well, not on YouTube, but, I mean, the videos will be, will be taken on cell phones and they will be uploaded to the internet. But these videos are going to be massive. And it's going to be students confronting their teachers about why they're wearing a mask, which is going to be hilarious. It's going to be students confronting, and we're talking about completely awake students right now, although it'll be on all sides, I guarantee it. But you'll have pro, you'll have anti-jab, anti-mask students confronting their pro-jab uh, teachers and and pro-mask teachers and pro-mask and jab fellow peers uh, and administrators, you name it. And and again, I've, I think I've mentioned this in the past, but these these citizen journalists, even at the K twelve level, I think is incredible. I really do think it's incredible. If it wasn't for fully awake and, and freedom-minded, independent individuals within these environments taking videos of some of these whack job teachers who have no idea what they're doing and the harm that they're causing with their own brainwashed attitudes and indoctrination, you're going to have countless videos out there this coming school year of countless confrontations. And it's going to be very, very revealing. I mean, these will be revealing confrontations. And I'm not talking about violent confrontations per se. I'm talking about just verbal altercations between fully awake students and, uh, and, and, and their asleep peers and their asleep teachers. It's really going to get interesting. The unfortunate twist in this, and I hate to bring it back to this unfortunate reality, but you're going to have very healthy students being ill because they themselves haven't been jabbed, but they are around the jabbed. And we know what that's doing already. Um, let me give you one quick example. 
There are countless examples of this, by the way. Uh, Dr. Sherry Tenpenny was on the Stu Peters show, and I highly recommend going and, and, and watching that episode. She was on for about 30 minutes or so, and she, she relayed a story to him, and she said, a friend of mine has a daughter who is, who is college age, uh, of college age, and she returned to campus to hang out with some of her friends. Uh, her friends had been jabbed, and she had not. And all they were doing was sitting around. They weren't, they weren't having sex, and, and what had occurred to her was not sexually related. They were just sitting around, talking and doing whatever they were doing. And she said that she came home and was bleeding vaginally with massive blood clots, and, his, and her, her entire menstrual cycle had been totally thrown off and was completely abnormal and was menstruating uh, more, than, more than a week, longer than a week, uh, th throughout the last three-month period. Now think about that. Now you're taking, again, jab teachers, as I've said in the past, I've, I've mentioned this before, you're taking jab teachers and you're taking jab students and you're sticking them in the same environment with the unjabbed. And the word transmission is being used, much like an individual um, who who does not have chicken pox is around an individual who has chicken pox, the person who doesn't have it will end up with it. This is completely different, even as Dr. Tenpenny has said. This is, this is different than that. Because in that instance, the person who is not vaccinated, or the person who has never had chicken pox, rather, will get chicken pox. In this case, the individual who isn't jabbed ends up with countless side effects which are remarkably harmful, if not deadly. People, again, have had full-blown strokes and, and serious blood clotting in the brain and pulmonary embolisms, etc., etc. So that's the sort of the secondary and tertiary uh, side effects here that are, that are going to be taking place. But my God, if, if there turns out to be some jab bus that does show up to these K-12 schools and starts jabbing students, um, I think, I think you're going to see a massive pushback, not just among parents and among students, hopefully, but I think and I pray that you're going to see a pushback among teaching staff who are unjabbed. And hopefully they're educating and properly educating their students on the truth. And maybe, just maybe, they're listening to this broadcast of this episode right now and they're saying to themselves, you know what, I didn't even consider that. Maybe that's something I need to prepare for. Maybe I need to start sending out some emails. Maybe I need to start sending out some some information, and make sure that um, that you're going to be, you know, if you if you're a science or or anatomy and physiology teacher or health educator, that you're going to actually take your responsibility seriously and educate your students seriously about what's going on. The problem now is, is when you do that, you're going to be alienating the jabbed. And scaring the ever-living hell out of them as a result. And again, while that is probably a bad thing and, and won't work out, I got to tell you, just think of that learning environment. Think of how unhealthy the learning environment is. Because as it stands right now, today, the, first, the, the end of the first week, full week of July, in the year 2021, I don't think that the K-12 environment could possibly get any more unhealthy. 
I don't think it could get any more divisive. But I think that the writing is on the wall for that to be the case. For all the reasons that I've mentioned in this episode and reasons I've mentioned in the past. I think it's going to continue to get very divisive. I've, get, I've given lots of people lots of different warnings on what to watch out for, what to pay attention to. Watch out for the jab buses. I think that's the next thing. And I call them jab buses again because countless schools, in particular high schools, will have blood donation buses that show up maybe once a year, maybe twice a year, once each semester. So if individuals want to donate blood, they can. Of course, now the jabbed can't donate blood. But it's going to be the same process. It's going to be the same process, except it's going to be a bus full of these, full of this uh, poisonous juice, and they're going to show up and they're going to even coerce high school students beyond just getting out of class. It will be something else, giving them gift cards to Walmart or whatever it will be. But it will be something trivial, something monetary, and something awful. So keep an eye out for that. Prepare for that. Again, I'm sure that's already in the cards for countless schools. But again, time will tell. But we definitely have to keep an eye on this and keep talking about it so that uh, we're well informed. That's, that's the idea. Because again, think about it this way. If Joe Biden and that administration, or whatever you want to call that thing that's going on over there, is saying that they're going to go to the homes of the unjabbed. That means that they know who hasn't taken it. Me, myself, I, of course, haven't taken it, never will. And I have family members who have never taken it and never will. I've received a text message on my phone from my local supermarket and grocery store. And they say, we recognize that you probably haven't had the jab. If you would like to come in and, and make an appointment, or if you would just like to come in and get the jab, you're more than free to do so. Go ahead and text back yes or no, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I got that text message. I'm not the only person who's received that text message. People have been receiving those text messages for quite some time, which means, again, they have a list. They have our names. They have our phone numbers. They have our addresses, and they know who's had it and who hasn't. Parents have got to understand that it's well within the purview of government to go around the parent to find the child who's been unjabbed and even coerce that person behind the back of the parent. This is a viable scenario. This is something that is happening. And again, if they do this, you need to know that they've got your name or your children's name on a list as being unjabbed. And they've just now said they're coming after us in one way or another. More coercion, more gifts, more bribes, whatever it is. It's completely irrational. It's totally unethical, borderline illegal. And frankly, it's harassment if it doesn't stop after we've already said stop. So that's the thing that people are going to have to continue to pay attention to among countless other things I know, but that's certainly one of them. Now, I want to wrap up this episode with this, and this was very cool and an excellent history lesson, I might add. This was sent to me by Vanessa Hurst, and it ties into what I was talking about in the last episode regarding the food shortages um, and how, again, this isn't, a, this isn't a new practice, and this right here perfectly lays it out. And this comes from Farming in the 30s, in, Farming in the 1930s from livinghistoryfarm.org. 
and it's titled Culling the Herds. And it reads like this, quote, During the early years of the Depression, livestock prices dropped disastrously. Officials with the New Deal believed prices were down because farmers were still producing too many commodities like hogs and cotton. The solution proposed in the Agricultural Adjustment Act of 1933 was to reduce the supply. So in the late spring of 1933, the federal government carried out emergency livestock reductions, quote-unquote. In Nebraska, the government bought about 470,000 cattle and 438,000 pigs. Nationwide, 6 million hogs were purchased from desperate farmers. In the South, 1 million farmers were paid to plow under 10.4 million acres of cotton. The hogs and cattle were simply killed. In Nebraska, thousands were shot and buried in deep pits. Farmers hated to sell their herds, but they had no choice. The federal buyout saved many farmers from bankruptcy, and AAA payments became the chief source of income for many that year. It was a bitter pill for farmers to swallow. They had worked hard to raise these crops and livestock, and they absolutely hated to see them killed and the meat go to waste. Critics charged that AAA was pushing a policy of scarcity, quote-unquote, killing little pigs simply to increase prices when many people were going hungry. Agriculture Secretary Henry A. Wallace said that since there was too little demand for pork products, farmers couldn't run an old folks' home for the hogs and keep them around indefinitely as pets, quote-unquote. But even Wallace relented, recognizing the desperate need in the country. He pledged that the government would purchase agricultural products from those who have too much in order to give to those who have too little. The AAA was amended to set up the Federal Surplus Relief Corporation, or FSRC, which distributed agricultural products such as canned beef, apples, beans, and pork products to relief organizations. Yet the basic governmental approach of supporting farm prices by reducing supplies continues to this day. And that was written by Claudia Reinhardt and Bill Gansel of the Gansel Group. It's absolutely incredible. I mean, the entire depression was just manufactured. It was an entirely manufactured rig. Now, in this case, it's a completely different circumstance. Again, this is clearly happening. There's, there's no doubt about that. But the, the, the larger question is why. And that's the question I think that matters the most. And, and people need to continue to search for that. Why is this happening? Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.